Hello and welcome to This is Modern Rock. I'm Will Westerkow and joining me today is Eric Mentier. Hello. Hello there. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, greetings Great. from the middle of the, uh, the Mount Hood wilderness. Nice. So Eric, you are the guitarist and keyboardist, I guess, for um, Blitz and Trapper? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of the all-around multi-instrumental, uh, please fill in this blank space kind of guy. Blitz and Trapper gets described as kind of like an Americana influence mm-hmm. band a lot. You can clearly hear the 70s rock influence, whether that's, yeah. you know, I don't know, Neil Young or Bob Dylan, Grateful Dead. But it's definitely not a band that is just sounding like it's rehashing the 70s. It still sounds like it's, you know, got a modern edge to it. It still sounds like indie rock, whatever that means. So I was just curious, like, are the band's influences all 70s stuff or, or are there? Oh, it's all over the place. I mean, we've gone through so many different changes and evolutions in the band. Like at the start of it, I mean, a lot of what we were listening to was a ton of Stereolab and like Herbie Hancock. Each member of the band kind of comes from their own weird genre pool. I, you know, I grew up on Grew up with like all the cavalcade of the 90s, sub pop stars, Sonic Youth and Mud Honey was a huge band for me. I'm, I'm kind of like the noisy one that they ever so often unleash and let loose, you know? <laughs> yeah. But all of this stuff kind of got thrown into a pot and it all gets channeled through Eric Early, who writes all the material. Mm-hmm. You play enough records around somebody, they kind of soak it up like a sponge and spit it back out. Okay, well, we're going to be talking about July of 1991 today. I was 11 and I hated Nirvana. Oh, all right. (laughs) I was like, what is this crap? Give me more Naughty by Nature. And then one year later, literally, I was was on the Seattle bandwagon. This is actually our second episode in a row talking about July 1991 because it was kind of an unusual month. Last episode, we covered the typical stuff we talk about, the number one song, the number two song, but... When I was looking through the charts, I noticed there were a lot of, for lack of a better term, I guess I'll call them elder statesmen of modern rock. And they all showed up on the modern rock charts in July of 1991 uh, with like their final stand. And then they disappear from modern rock radio and modern rock charts. So I thought that was unusual. And we have not talked about any of these artists up to this point. And so this is going to be the last chance to talk about any of them. So I thought it would be cool to give them a little listen and find out what these guys were all about. Nice. Yeah. I, I hadn't really heard of any of them outside of Joe Jackson, um, which of course I know because of that incessant pre-programmed baseline on step it out. That just is constantly running through my brain, whether I like it or not. So I looked up a bunch of these guys. We've got in July 1991, Stan Ridgway, Richard Thompson, Marshall Crenshaw, and Joe Jackson. They're all having their final chart appearance on the Modern Rock Charts. We're going to talk about all four of them today. But also Julian Cope, formerly of The Teardrop Explodes, he had his final chart appearance in May of 1991. Rick Okasik, formerly of The Cars, had his final chart appearance in January. So they're really kind of dropping like flies here. And 
there's a few exceptions, you know, Elvis Costello and David Byrne and Peter Gabriel stick around for another couple years. And sure. amazingly, Iggy Pop manages to chart as late as 2003. Really? Nothing can uh, stop <laughs> Iggy Pop. Yeah, he might live longer than Keith Richards, but um, we'll see. Yeah. So I guess let's just jump into it. We're going to start with Stan Ridgway. So Stan Ridgway, he was the original lead singer for the band Wall of Voodoo. And Wall of Voodoo, they're best remembered for their hit, Mexican Radio. Ah, yes. Yeah, an MTV classic. Yeah, and I I think a lot of people who don't really know the band probably consider that to be something bordering on a novelty tune, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a pretty cool song. It's pretty fun. If you go back and listen to the first couple albums, I think they're really good albums. They're weird. They're oddball. They get kind of compared to Devo, maybe, in some ways. Mm -hmm. But they have like a Western flair to them. Yeah, nice. This is one of my uh, favorite stories about Stan Ridgway. So apparently when he was just starting out, he was playing with this guy uh, who was the son of Dawes Butler. And Dawes Butler is the voice of Yogi Bear and Elroy Jetson and Snagglepuss and Huckleberry Hound. He's just like one of those guys that did a ton of famous voice acting work for old cartoons. And Stan Ridgway uh, happened to notice that he had a really, really early drum machine, like one of the first drum machines ever created. And he was just kind of admiring it. And Dawes Butler's like, oh, you like this drum machine? Sure. Here you go. It's yours. And so I think they ended up using that drum machine on the first Wall of Voodoo album. So maybe in some sense, Wall of Voodoo would not have existed without voice of Yogi Bear. (laughs) That's nice. What a small world, really. Sure. Yeah. It's all networking, kids. That's what you got to do. You got to network. Get out yeah, there. See, this show, that's what it's good for. The tips, professional tips. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So in, oh, in 1983, Stan Ridgway left Wall of Voodoo. The band kept going on. Andy Preboy took over as the lead singer. And um, Stan Ridgway had some moderate success. He charted three times on the modern rock charts. His final chart appearance is here in July of 1991. And the song is called I Want to Be a Boss. This is on the album Party Ball, and it hit number 13 on the charts. Should we listen to it? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Because I, I said I want to be a boss. And I just want to take a four-hour lunch and eat a steak with a one sauce. I, I said I want to be a boss. And I'll buy a I wonder how long they actually carry the song on for, you know, when you hear the fade out. Yeah. yeah. Like how, how long did they actually, was it like 10 more minutes of just like triumphant alcohol fueled? I want to be a boss. Keep it going. This is gold. One yeah. more time. Uh, yeah. What do you, what do you think? It has that sort of American blue collar humor to mm-hmm. it. Uh, it. Yeah. It kind of, yeah. For some reason it, it reminded me a lot of, uh, grandma got run over by a reindeer the classic christmas song yeah music just, or it's, like delivery no no and no and it's sort of cavalier mm. yeah delivery i suppose okay. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing with Stan Ridgway is is you never quite know how serious to take it. There's something mm-hmm. about the way he sings that, I don't know if comical is the right word, but it's just a little over the top. It, it's a little it's a little silly. So when he says he wants to be a boss, you're like, does he want to be a boss? You know, he seems like he's celebrating making millions of dollars and sitting in his limo, smoking a cigar. At least he's charitable. He'll let no old coot into into his limo at any given time with all the booze and whatnot. Give him a thousand bucks and be like, he's, you know, well, he's writing that guy but, into his will. Oh well, okay. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a much larger commitment than uh, I had originally supposed. Sure. I like the way it starts, that kind of recurring theme that kicks off the song. It reminds mm-hmm. me of something like How the West Was Won, maybe. It's kind mm. of calling to mind some classic Western film scores. Interesting, but with like the sort of synth string mm-hmm. treatment. Sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's fun. Uh, there's some some pretty good lines in there. I really like the, uh, I want to take a two-week vacation 26 times a year. Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, add it, add it up. Oh, that one, yeah. That one went over my head. I liked. I liked that he was going to go so far to the musky levels of uh, building a, uh, a uh, an amusement park on Mars oh, right. and outdoing Walt Disney. Uh huh. Slightly prescient there. Yeah. One thing I wonder if you noticed though, there were some references that I would say are are very dated. He wants to be as famous as Howard Hughes, I believe he said, mm. and. He said something about Ming the Merciless. Yeah, no, he was like he was gonna grow a Fu Man. Oh, is that what he's gonna and do? His, and grow his fingernails out and keep <laughs> them in specimens in a jar or something. Whoa, what does that have to do with being a boss? I, I don't know. I guess yeah. I guess Ming's a boss. I think once you reach a certain income level, mm-hmm. just things get really weird really quickly. Yeah. Well, you have to do that to unmute you yourself because you've done everything else. Yeah, you've already done it. Yeah. But the other one, I had to look this one up. He said something about watching Ice Station Zebra in the nude, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I don't, I don't even know what that is. So I, I pulled it up, and it is a 1968 Cold War era suspense and spy film. Oh, so, yeah. Um, like maybe that explains it all. Maybe that's that's the reason he's not coming back on the modern rock charts is because all these kids were listening to the radio and they're like, "Who is Howard Hughes? What is Ice Station Zebra?" <laughs> Yeah, it's like when I'm when I make a joke about Alpha at a party and nobody knows what the fuck it is. Exactly. Anymore. Yeah. Although I do. You can make all the Alpha yeah. jokes you want on this show. Can we just have parties? <laughs> uh, yeah. What are we looking at next? All right. The next person we're going to listen to is Richard Thompson. And I was surprised to see Richard Thompson on the charts because this guy has been around for a long time. But I would not have thought that he'd be a modern rock artist. This guy, as far as I know, has like absolutely zero connection to punk rock, which Hmm. is where, you know, a lot of the modern rock roots are, Uh, or at least like the Velvet Underground, stuff like that, Um, proto-punk stuff. He, He is so far disconnected from that. Richard Thompson, for those of you who don't know, he started out as the guitarist and uh, one of the singers in a British folk band called the Fairport Convention. Oh, huh. That band started out as kind of like a Dylan-influenced, like American Mm. folk sort of deal. And within the first few albums, they shifted to a very, very influential British folk sound. And it's a sound that I like a lot. I, I really like those early Richard Thompson Fairport Convention albums. Are you familiar? Not really, but I know of like uh, like Pentacle and that sort of like uh, sort of embrace of more like medieval or modal sure. choral arrangements. And, right. Uh, 
simple yeah, stuff with guitars. It was the backlash to Skiffle. Really. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, the Skiffle frightened everybody. It was the punk rock of its time, really. Yeah. They fright it frightened them all and and so they felt the need to regress back into the Middle Ages. I have not heard that take, but uh I will accept mm-hmm. it at face value. That's true. Yeah. I know I do I, I love a lot of the a, a lot of those modal uh chordal progressions and stuff. Um we were on tour with a wonderful band called Casey and Clayton. Mm-hmm who are from uh, up in Saskatchewan, Canada. And they have studied the hell out of all of all of that, like kind of early British folk and kind of and early American folk and blues and all that stuff. They're excellent. And they incorporate a lot of those. And they introduced us to a lot of songs in that style that I had never heard before. And they're just they're wonderfully haunting. Okay, cool. Yeah, I will check that out. And for those of you who don't totally know what we're talking about. If you just imagine like folk music that sounds like it would fit along perfectly to some tales of knights and, you know, Robin Hood and damsels. Like the tales of Canterbury. Yes, or... yes, some Canterbury tales. Um, yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. So um, he was in that band for five albums and this kind of blew my mind. After five albums, he went solo and I think he was still only 22 years old at that point. It's making the rest of us look bad. And uh, he he started a solo career, and then he started releasing albums with his wife at the time uh, under the name Richard and Linda Thompson. Shoot Out the Lights was like the last album they did together before they uh, broke up, and it was uh, very, very highly acclaimed. I always like hearing those stories of husband and wife teams that are actually able to stay together and, and like work together. I've always been a little bit envious, envious of mm-hmm. it, actually. Yeah. It seems both really nice and really maddening. Sure. You know, yep. being able to share this thing, but then you also would just never get away from the person. So, of course. Yeah. And I mean, there's a, I think I could probably think of a handful of bands where they stuck it out and stuck together, but there's a lot of stories of uh, terrible, terrible music breakups between husband and wife. Oh, God. So maybe it's for the best. The, 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 the Gordon Moore split was very, was very heartbreaking for me. Thurston and Kim splitting. Oh from yes, Sonic yes, Keith. yes. Yeah. I always kind of consider them as like punk rock parents. Sure, in some way. like exactly. And everyone's like, "Oh, I thought they would be together forever." Mm-hmm. All right, so I would say, despite a lot of critical success, Richard Thompson did not uh, sell super well, especially not in America. In 1991, he was releasing his sixth solo album under the title of Richard Thompson, and his sixth studio album. It's called Rumor and Sigh, and the lead single, I Feel So Good, is what we're going to listen to. This reached number 15 on the Modern Rock Charts in July of 1991. It was his highest charting song in the U.S., and um, I think it's about a man who is let out of jail, and he is so excited about getting out of jail that he cannot control himself and stop himself from getting into trouble and kind of wreaking havoc. A tale of recidivism. Yes, perhaps. See if we can catch some lyrics and see if see if we think that's actually what it's about. They put me in jail for my deviant ways. Two years, seven months, and sixteen days. Going back on the street in a purple haze. I feel so good. And I
lovely. Yeah, that didn't seem too out of place on the modern rock charts, I don't think. I thought it was pretty catchy right off the bat, you know. It had the little the little jig riff or whatever. Yeah, it's very jaunty, you know. You feel you feel like you're uh, bellying up to the bar and yeah. And cork or somewhere. Yeah, and I, you know? I gotta say, I always enjoy songs where it feels like a, a happy little tune, but it's got a bit of a mean streak maybe in the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Well, and that definitely does. It sounds like he was into some nefarious business there. Yeah. <laughs> but of course, uh, he is singing in character. I think he said he was uh, old enough to sin, but too young to vote, if I caught the lyrics. Oh, right. Oh. You mean everybody doesn't like write literal things from their life? He might be the first to break that mold. <laughs> God, what have I been doing this entire time? Jesus. Well, you're going to leave this show um, inspired with all kinds of new ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? I just had to listen to other people and figure out what they did. Yeah. Yeah. He. Uh, I just found it so cruel when I listened to it the first time, though. So he goes out and he's supposedly having a great time. And then he just wants to, he's just going to break somebody's heart. Cause you know, why not? Yeah. I wonder whose heart he's breaking. You know, my, my, my first assumption was that it's, you know, some girl or something, but now that I think about it, I'll bet he's breaking his mom's heart. I think that's what's going on. He's uh... <laughs> <laughs> songs of filial devotion. That's right. Who would be more upset about uh, him having a suitcase full of $50 bills and a naked woman with his tongue down his throat? Right. Yeah, his mom probably would be pretty disappointed in that. Yeah, so I think it's worth noting that in addition to this song, this album, Rumor and Sigh, it also features a song called 1952 Vincent Black Lightning, which has become a very popular song for him. And made it onto Time Magazine's all-time 100 songs list in 2011. That's pretty impressive. I mean, you know, everyone has their own opinions and there's a bazillion lists that people make, but, you know, to have a fairly major magazine listed as one of the 100 greatest songs of all time. That's quite significant. Sure. I guess, you know, Richard Thompson, he's he's been involved in a lot of side projects. I'm not going to name all of them, but uh, he did work here and there with a band called the Golden Palominos, which uh, was started by Anton Fear, who uh, was the drummer for the Feelies back in the day. Um, and uh, uh-huh. I think Richard Thompson actually appeared on the only Golden Palomino song to ever chart on the modern rock charts, which is called Alive and Living Now and features Michael Stipe from R.E.M. on vocals. Hmm. I also want to say that in a, you might have heard Richard Thompson's music and did not realize it because in 2004, Richard Thompson scored the Werner Herzog documentary Grizzly Man. Oh, man. I would love to score anything that Werner does. Like, yeah. If, especially if I have to get like direction uh, from him at uh-huh. the same time. Oh, pl- oh, God. I would. That would well, be great. You know what? He might be listening to this show. You never know what's going to happen. You haven't seen me? Yeah. Yeah. Wolf me on. Danke. Um, and then, okay. And then in, in 2015, Jeff Tweedy of Wilco produced one of Richard Thompson's albums and it became his first top 10 album in the UK. What is that? 46 years after his first album, yeah. uh, he finally hits the top 10. Well, I'm going to dig into some of this stuff. Way to, way to go, Tweedy. Good job. Yeah. Another, another job well done. I know. Tweedy uh, does an excellent job of, uh, you know, digging up, uh, the old fogies or, uh, you know, alerting us to yeah. their presence or whatever it is. He's just got like a very patient sense of humor that, that I, I yeah, really appreciate. Sure. Yeah. 
Will we ever feature Wilco on the show? That's a really good question. The answer, oh, you know what? They do make it once. Out of sight, out of mind, 1997. Nice. And it reached number 39 on the charts out of 40. Wow. (laughs) Can we just? Yeah, give it up for Wilco. Yeah. All right. Um, All right. So Richard Thompson is still alive. He's still active in music. He has, at this point, released 18 studio albums, most recently in 2018. Our third artist we're going to listen to is Marshall Crenshaw. This guy is maybe a little less well-known than some of the others. His name, like it's like one of those tip-of-the-tongue things. Like I felt like I knew it. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, he's sort of like a critical darling who has not who has not sold very well. But uh, Marshall Crenshaw, he got his start actually playing John Lennon in the West Coast Company of the musical Beatlemania in 1978. Crenshaw also played Buddy Holly in the film La Bamba. Really? Yeah. Huh. So maybe if he's slightly familiar, it's because you watched La Bamba so much and you saw his name in the credits. <laughs> I don't know. Once I saw Busey as 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 Buddy Holly, it's uh, yeah, yeah, that's done. That's true. Marshall yeah. Crenshaw's got a much. How do you say it? He just looks like a real nice, regular, sweet dude. You know what I mean? Like Busey yeah. gives yeah. Uh, Buddy Holly a little bit more of an edge. Like you're, oh, this guy. Yeah, something a little dangerous about him. Yeah, I, d- I didn't think I didn't think Mr. Innocent songs uh, <laughs> could have any sense of danger to him, but uh, sure enough, yeah. Add that crazy Busey stare into it, and it and it works yep. out. All right. So in 1982, Marshall Crenshaw released his first album, which is called Marshall Crenshaw, and that's like the album. If you want to check out Marshall Crenshaw, it, it got rave reviews, and it's one of those albums where it's held in such high esteem that it's really hard for the artist to do anything following yeah. it. That people are going to like as much. And that album also spawned his only top 40 pop single, Someday, Someway. Someday, someway, maybe I'll understand you. It's like a whole album of, of really solid, well-crafted pop songs. And like I said, they're not edgy at all. They, they're not punk enough for me to truly love. You know, I, I always want things to have like mm. a little bit of a bite to them. And these songs don't. But if you're just into like well-crafted pop songmanship, I mean, it's very, it's very reminiscent of the like kind of height of power pop mm-hmm. of the sort of softer punk that still had like a push to it, but there wasn't, it wasn't like prog with all its right. weedily nonsense. Yes. So uh, let's see what else he put out some other albums. He, in 1986, he appeared in the film Peggy Sue got married in 1989, he appeared in the show The Adventures of Pete and Pete as a guitar-playing meter reader. So in 1991, Marshall Crenshaw released his sixth solo album called Life's Too Short. The lead single, Better Back Off, reached number 17 on the modern rock charts in July of 1991. And that's what we're going to listen to right now. Better Back Off. Better back off. 
Right. I like that one. I think that has a very similar sense of songcraft as, you know, the better songs on his debut album. I think it's right up there with those. In some ways, I like it even better because those songs are a little, maybe a little soft for me. And this one's got a bit more of a, like a drive to it. It seems like it's propulsing forward. I like his aggression on that. I kind of get a little weary of songs that are very sort of woe is me. Sure sort of complaining about a situation rather than offering any sort of solutions or attempt to deal with the situation. I really like even like the dumb Ramones, like I don't want to walk around with you. Why you want to walk around with me? Like what's wrong with, you know? Yeah. It's just a little bit more inspiring than a, what am I going to do about this girl? That's a gossip. It's funny that you use the word aggressive there. Cause I would never think of Marshall Crenshaw as like an aggressive person, but I still think you're right. I get the sense that like he's maybe the kind of guy that you can push around a little bit, but at this point he's been pushed a little too far mm-hmm. and he's going to finally stand up for right. himself. Now it's a oh, bloody hell. What's that Michael Douglas film? Falling yep, down. Yep. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Marshall Crenshaw, the, the Michael Douglas of modern rock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. Uh, all right. So this is the last time Marshall Crenshaw shows up on the modern rock charts, but he does in some form sort of show up one more time in 1995 because believe it or not, this guy co-wrote the gin blossoms hit till I hear it from you from the empire record soundtrack, which was a top 10 hit in the U S and a number one hit in Canada. Uh, I believe what happened was he was hanging around South by Southwest and uh, one of the guys from Gin Blossoms was just hanging around. He had the song uh, somewhat finished, you know, didn't have a chorus or didn't have a verse or something. And he just stumbled upon Marshall Crenshaw. He was a fan of him. And he's like, hey, Marshall, you want to come back to my hotel room and help me write the Gin Blossoms song? <laughs> well, that's that's pretty cute. Yeah, that's that's a cute South by Southwest story. <laughs> <laughs> I'll also add one more thing. Marshall Crenshaw also wrote the title theme song to 2007's Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. So if any of you remember that John C. Riley comedy that was uh, loosely based on Johnny Cash. I do indeed. Wow. And he is still alive and still performing. We're, we're kind of lucky out here with the, uh, the still alive, still performing, you know. Except for the fact that nobody's performing. That, well, that's true. That's true. Sorry. still alive still would be performing if could yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, at least we all have the potential that's that's right okay we're going to move on to our fourth and final artist this is joe jackson real name david jackson don't be fooled i change it to another boring name just for the (laughs) alliteration i need a nickname guys what do you got for me well david have you thought about joe Yeah, get smart. Call yourself Thor. Be Thor. I was trying to get my friends to call me Thor for the longest time. It just did not take. You know, well, yeah, you can't give yourself your own nickname. I, I got I got so many messed up nicknames from being in the band because there were two Eric's and neither of us wanted to be called number one or number two, sure. both because of the metaphor and the sort of competition of like, who's going to be number one? Yeah. Uh, so they took my last name. And went from Mentir to Mentito to just Tito. So somehow I became, I started becoming affiliated with Tito Jackson. Yes. (laughs) So do you, do you respond to that? Someone like called out Tito across a crowded room? Yes, I do. 
Nice. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. You know, I hated it at first, but then when I realized that there's only going to be so many Tito's in one room in one time, it was kind of nice because sure. in high school, you know, somebody yells your name, yells Eric down the hall. Yeah. 26 of us turn around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I will say, though, I, I do know how David Jackson got the nickname Joe, though. Some bandmates of his in the early days, they thought he looked like someone named Joe 90. It was a, a British puppet TV show. So very similar to the Thunderbirds. I think he was like a kid who was a spy. And I guess he looks like Joe Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> That's how boring nicknames are created, everybody. That's correct. All right. So back to Joe Jackson. He is an English musician, multi-instrumentalist. He started playing piano in bars at the age of 16. His first band was called Edward Bear, and then later Arms and Legs. Neither very good names. Uh, Dreadful. The band broke up in 76. In 1979, he released Look Sharp, which pretty great album, actually. It drew comparisons to Elvis Costello and Graham Parker, and it had Ishii really going out with him. Uh, which was later covered by modern rock band Sugar Ray and <laughs> and uh, hit number 19 on the adult top 40 charts. Oh, I'm like auditorially picturing that now. And it's just, oh, yeah, I've, I've not heard, never heard it before, but like my, my brain knows enough how to put the pieces together and I don't like no, it. I don't like no, it. Nobody likes it. That's kind of around the same time as the whole like Nick Lowe. Mm-hmm. Reckless Eric, Stiff Records. Oh, yeah, Reckless Eric, yeah. It's kind of the uh, weird British sort of solo artist, but but not quite the singer-songwriter thing that was happening in America. It was a little bit more punk. It was a little bit more right, yeah. sardonic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? some some. it seems like it somehow was like maybe originated in, in the pub rock scene and then was inspired by punk and early new wave stuff and kind of all smushed it together. All right. So in 1982, Joe Jackson moved into some jazzier territory. He had a Cole Porter inspired album night and day, which was a huge hit for him throughout the eighties. He experimented with Latin music and jazz and classical and all this stuff. And in 1991, he released laughter and lust, which uh, I think is his ninth studio album, not counting a couple soundtracks. And it's his last non-classical album for the rest of the decade. So he kind of uh, took a break from doing pop music for a while after this. But it spawned two modern rock singles. The one that actually charted in July, we're not going to listen to because it's a cover of a Fleetwood Mac song. And I'm going to kind of save that for the end of the season when I play all the cover songs that charted. So we're going to hear his song that charted earlier in 1991. It was his biggest modern rock hit. It reached number two on the charts, and it is called Obvious Song. Obviously. When a boy said, buddy, can you spare that tree? We gotta save this world, stop him with your land. It was a record roll made in there from the USA. Two and three to the gallon in a big white car. And he sang and he sang till he polluted the air. And he blew a lot of smoke from a Cuban cigar. And the stars are looking down. For a jazz guy, I really appreciate his sticking to very simple, straightforward riffs. Yeah. He hits the memorable lines and and doesn't doesn't go to the uh, opposite end of the spectrum where you 
don't really know what the melody yeah, is. No, I agree. Yeah, that song's song's pretty pretty catchy, pretty to the point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how obvious it is. Um, did it feel obvious to you? It's, oh, it didn't seem entirely obvious. Like, what, what you, are, are you complaining about the upper classes there in the first verse? Yeah, I mean, I think it was. I think he was complaining about people being hypocrites, maybe. But like, just because someone is driving a gas guzzling car does not mean that they can't complain about the destruction of rainforests. You know what I mean? So, right. um, I don't know. Something there is obvious to Joe Jackson that is a little less obvious to me. Um, yeah, it didn't. He, he wasn't very straightforward with it, was he? He's kind of like that guy that's just saying, well, it's obvious. I know. I I mean, you don't see it. And it's like, yeah, well. Yeah. I mean, I like that the refrain of, uh, you know, not having to be a hippie to know how to mm-hmm. love or like yeah. peace. That's that's sure. kind of nice. That's like like a gentle reminder to non-hippie identifying uh-huh. folks. All right. Well, we'll uh, wrap up Joe Jackson. In 2004, Joe Jackson appeared on a William Shatner cover of Pulp's Common People. Oh, yeah. What a funny yeah. character. Also, he released a single called In 2003, and the song is pretty much just an angry rant against smoking bans. Oh man, it's his his steam level just raised so much higher in my mind. And it seems like he just went all in on this one issue. In 2005 and 2007, he wrote some lengthy articles. They were essays opposing smoking bans, and um, I I have read that he moved from New York to Berlin in part to get away from and protest smoking bans. He was having trouble smoking in bars in New York in 2005. Maybe he was just a dick because <laughs> I've definitely smoked in several New York bars after that multiple years later. Yeah, I'm not sure. This is, this is just what I read. That was our that was our four artists right there. That was and, it? Uh, yeah, that was it. And, and none of them will be back on the modern rock charts. Yeah, I was going to say that everything today has been very listenable. Yeah, that's, I think mm-hmm. that's true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so great. Before we go, is uh, if, if there's any listeners out there who would like to hear some Blitz and Trapper uh, or any other music you might uh, be involved in, is there somewhere we should direct them? I mean, definitely go to blitzandtrapper.net. Okay. They have more than enough than you can find. We've got 11, 12 records. I don't know. A lot. Yeah. So many that I've been able to lose track. Yeah. Okay, cool. Do you have any uh, recommendations? If someone is new to Blitz and Trapper, is there something they should check out first? I I would go for the record Fur Mm -hmm. at first. That's a good one. But it really kind of depends on your proclivities. There's a wide variety of stuff out there for any Blitz and Trapper record. I would say put it on, start listening, and you're going to find two or three different things that you really like one way or another. All right. Well, Eric, thank you so much for joining me. Totally. This is great. It's really fun. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. We'll catch you next time.